Chapter 15 of the Boy Scouts' First Campfire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Kagan. The Boy Scouts' First Campfire by Herbert Carter. Chapter 15 The Boy from Blue Ridge. I expected this, but not so soon, quivered Bumpus, dropping in a heap on the ground and continuing to mop his heated face with that enormous bandana. The others two walked forward. We must make sure that this is the same place, remarked Thad, because, you see, there might have happened to be two little sandy beaches very much alike. Oh, no danger of that, sir, declared Bob, with conviction in his manner. I took right good notice of a heap of things, and they all seem to tally. This is the same place, I give you my word on that. Well, here's all the proof we want, said the scoutmaster, pointing down at his feet as they stood close to where the little waves were running over most of the sandy stretch. The water has washed out some of the footprints, but you can still see where Bumpus tripped at the edge of the rise here, where that root sticks up a little. Remember that, don't you, Bumpus? This is it, replied the fat boy, getting up to come forward, and stared at the marks he had made, as though they confirmed his worst fears. And now, fellas, you see the blessed old island has got people hiding on it. They came back here and hooked our boat while we were poking along through the scrub like a bunch of geese. Now, how are we going to get back home? We'll just starve to death out here, and, and Stephen he can turn my bag inside out while I'm gone, too. That laugh seemed to worry him more than anything else, Thad noticed, with a little surprise, because he did not believe for a minute that Bumpus knew anything about the compass which Stephen had accused him of hiding. They looked across the wide stretch of water. The waves were indeed dancing at quite a lively rate now showing that a fresh breeze had started up since they started on their little exploring trip. Tad suddenly conceived of an idea. Perhaps it was the wash of the waves against the bank that gave it to him. He turned to Bumpus. See here, how far up did you pull that boat, he asked suddenly. Fat boy stared and scratched his head. Do you mean when we first landed or afterwards when you told me to come along or stay here? and do whatever I liked, he asked. But it was only to gain a little time that he said this, because he already knew what the answer would be. When Bob and myself were going to the bush, I told you to pull the boat up and either stay here or follow. Did you do it, Bumpus? Thad went on. Oh, I heard you say it all right, admitted the fat boy, frankly, but... When I looked back, it seemed to me that the old boat was far enough up on the sand. And then you fellers were making off so fast, I just thought you'd leave me alone if I didn't hurry, so I just put after you, pell-mell. Well, that's what the matter, said Thad, with a look of disgust. Next time, see to it you obey your orders, no matter what you happen to think. Then the boats drifted away, sir, you think, Bob remarked eagerly. That's what I imagine, replied Thad. Notice which way the wind is coming, and you can see that it throws the water up on the beach, which it wasn't doing when we left here. 
Once she was loose, and the same breeze would make her move along past that little wooded point yonder. I reckon that if we climb out there, we'll see the boat adrift. But why haven't some of the boys ashore noticed it and let out a whoop to draw our attention? asked the boy from the Blue Ridge. They may have been too busy to look this way, answered Thad, and then, besides, the boat would be carried behind the island so they couldn't see it. Come on, and we'll soon find it. But if we don't find it, however am I going to get on the mainland again, complained Bumpus. Well, it would serve you right if you did have to stay here alone a while, Thad told him with a sternness in his face, which the merry twinkle in his eyes belied. After being so shiftless as to let such an accident happen, you surely deserve to suffer. Isn't that right, Bumpus? Own up now. Oh, I suppose it might be, the fat boy admitted. But I hope you won't think of leaving me out here all alone. I might get scared and be tempted to jump in, and you know what a poor swimmer I am, Thad. Oh, bully, bully, there she is, Thad, and floating along just as sassy as anything. The boat was not more than a hundred and fifty feet away, though by degrees moving further off all the while, as the wind and the waves influenced her movements. Uh, now somebody will have to strip and go after her, said Thad. And if you were a better swimmer, I'd say it ought to be you, Bumpus. Well, you'll have to excuse me this time, Thad, declared the other earnestly. But are you sure it was only the wind that carried her off? Well, you can see for yourself that there's no one in the boat using the paddle, the scoutmaster replied. That's so, Thad, but seems as if I'd see something in the water under her bow, and it looks like two hands holding on the gunwale above just as if somebody might be swimming along and dragging the boat after him. Both the others broke out into a laugh at that. I see that imagination of yours is working overtime, Bumpus, remarked Thad, and then turning to the southern boy, he went on. Shall it be you or I, Bob? I hope you'll let me go after her, sir, said the other quickly, beginning to throw off some of his clothes, as if anticipating a favorable decision on the part of his superior officer in the Silver Fox Patrol. "'Go then, if you want to, Bob,' suggested Thad, smiling, for he was being drawn closer to the gallant son of the sunny South every day, and constantly finding new causes for admiring the other's self-sacrificing disposition. Inside of three minutes, Bob White went in from the headland with a splash, and swam toward the floating boat like a water spaniel. Reaching the runaway, he was seen to clamber aboard, after which he picked up the paddle and started to urge the boat toward the shore again. Not until then did Bumpus seem to heave a sigh of relief. Evidently, the poor fellow had really expected to see some dreadful enemy clasp Bob around the neck, and he started to slip over the side of the boat. After Bob had resumed his clothes, and they entered the boat and left the vicinity of the island. Thad kept looking it over as they gradually moved further away, as if not satisfied by any means with what little he had seen of the place. Yes, he remarked, I'm pretty much of a mind to put it to the fellows, and if the majority favors, we'll change our camp tomorrow for a try. On the island, there's something about that place that seems to draw me. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, declared Bumpus, dolefully, because I just know they'll want to ferry over. Alan, because he's ready to do anything you say, 
Stephen, for he wants to meet up with all sorts of adventures, and says he means to get away out in the Rockies some of these days. Smithy, because he's afraid you'll think him weak and girlish if he draws back, and draft too when he gets the idea that maybe we'll be leaving the bear behind, because it'll mean just so much more left for him to eat. If I am the minority, I might as well make it unanimous and be done with it. Can't die but once, anyhow, so what does it matter? Of course, neither of the others paid much attention to what Bumpus said. He always liked to hear himself talk, and his comrade said his bark was worse than his bite. Bumpus often said he wouldn't, and then changed his mind immediately. When they landed, the others were just about starting to have Alan show how the long talk of Indian pictures writing was done. They asked questions, of course, but neither Thad nor Bob would gratify their curiosity. We're going to keep all that for around the campfire tonight, boys, declared the scoutmaster. Wouldn't interrupt this arrangement for anything. And to tell the truth, we didn't find anything so serious as to want a recall. So go right along with the game, Alan, and let the rest of us in on it. Because Bob here is as eager to learn as any of the boys. Bumpus, however declared that he was tired, preferred staying in camp to keep the bear company. He might get loose and try to clear us out of all our grub, he suggested, with a broad smile. Sure, replied Stephen, sneeringly, and I just warrant you have already got your tree all picked out beforehand, if he does. Much good you'd be trying to defend our provisions. Now, if it was me, I'd fight to the last gasp before I let him make away with a single piece of cheese or even a cracker. I believe you would, Stephen, replied Bumpus, calmly. And by the way, perhaps my knapsack has aired enough by now, so I'll put it in the tent again. Stephen made a face at him and hurried away after the rest. But the manner in which he looked back a number of times and continued to shake his head as he talked to himself, it was plain to be seen that he still believed the fat boy was hiding something and that same haversack which he did not wish anyone, particularly a fellow named Stephen Bingham, to set eyes on. And what else could that be but the missing compass, which Bumpus had once so indignantly denied having seen, after he handed it back to its owner? Allen did not intend going far, since there was no need of it. He could illustrate all he wished to in the ways of the famous Indian picture-writing which Boy Scouts and other troops had found so interesting. A study in connection with witchcraft, even Thad, who had dabbled in it to some extent in the past, was deeply concerned, because he knew that the more the boys became interested in observing things that were happening all around them, the sooner they would climb up the ladder leading to merit badges and a right to the name of a first-class scout. End of chapter 15 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan